Cutting through the Matrix on 28th of September 2012. Newcomers, as always, you should make good use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's lots of free audios for download where I try and basically bring the system together for you as, as simply as I can because it's been here for an awful long time. It's a total system. It runs all facets of everyone's lives. And uh, it was designed a long, long time ago by those guys who decided that they, they were the elites. They were the superior types, uh, they were into eugenics, of course they are, and they believed that their power that they did accumulate over centuries through wealth and, and, and business and so on and banking uh, gave them the right to rule the world the way it should be ruled, properly, you see, properly. None of this free uh, opinions and free rights for different people and, and natural rights, none of that stuff that all gets in the way. So they decided to take over the world and all of its resources, including all of the people too, mind you, and even foment wars to get uh, the, their agendas through. And they're still at it today, for those who haven't clued in on it. And they had many names in the past, but they came through the Cecil Rhodes Rothschild Milner Group into the Royal Institute for International Affairs and then Council on Foreign Relations. They put the Prime Ministers and Presidents in across the world and have for over a 100 years. And uh, their own historian, actually, because of their own private histories, of the real histories of why things happen and who funds them and, and who is going to gain from it, uh, he actually wrote about their histories and the fact that... Um, uh, they were bringing in a new world order, a new feudal type system where CEOs of corporations will run the world. If you notice, basically the guys that they put up for election are CEOs of corporations. They just jump into politics for a while and do what they're told. And they're all pre-selected because they're members of the CFR. And uh, they've already you know, sworn allegiance to this particular organization. Any other uh, oaths that come afterwards are irrelevant to them. And they have this big agenda, which they truly, truly believe in. And we're well into it today, well into it. So happy stuff to that. Remember, two, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests and things like that. I don't sell uh, products to make you live forever and ever uh, and have no shares in any companies. So if you want to keep me going, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and support me that way or donate. And you can do so by going into the website, as I say. Remember, all the sites listed on, on cuttingthroughthematrix.com have, uh, in, are for download uh, audios. But you can also get transcripts for prints up in English. Go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, that, uh, as I say, you can buy the books and discs at the, at the website as well. And donate. So from the US to Canada, remember, uh, you can still use personal checks. You can still use international postal money orders from the U.S. to Canada. You can send uh, cash or you can use PayPal. Cross the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and uh, PayPal once again. And straight donations in these times of incredible inflation are awfully, awfully welcome. 
And inflation, of course, is set to ramp up and up and up and up because we're living at this time. Even the bank crashes came at the right time, you understand. Everything happens at the right time. They had meetings four or five years before the bank crashes, the top bankers themselves, and pretty well knew when it would happen. So did the government as well and the Treasury. They all knew when it was going to happen, and it was allowed to happen. They'd lose nothing, remember. The impact was to have a social impact because war has many forms, including economic warfare. Remember that too. And the banks lose nothing, and we end up bailing them out, and we're further in the hole of debt and more owing to the bankers. And so they've got actually more power than ever before. And Quigley himself, from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, said that that uh, eventually the big central bankers would rule the world under the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix and it truly is an incredible system we're living in because it's total perception management really and from birth to to, to grave most folk don't know or don't catch on they'll sing the songs that's been given to them for every generation gets its own songs given to them they'll wear the fashions of their their time because it's given to them uh, and they want to belong to their peer group and um, and they'll even go into the type of jobs that's promoted during their own particular period as well, even if it's a dead loss, it doesn't matter. And uh, and then they go into uh, geriatric homes and they'll do rap eventually, they'll be playing rap there with their with their sticks and all the rest of it. Now that's reality. Most folk never catch on to this. I used to think about this <laughs> really for many many years, even when I was a child. And, and mainly because I saw the adults staring at televisions wherever I go and see my friends. The, the parents were always glued to the television. Sometimes the whole families were glued to them. And I thought, what an incredible mechanism this is because you can make them laugh all at the same time. Uh, you see them all tense at the same time with a drama and, and even cry at the same time. I mean, what an amazing tool that is to, to, to dominate the, the brains and the minds of people. Never mind the fact when you count up all the hours of your life watching it, what you have wasted. You, you only get this one chance here in living and, uh, uh, and so much of it goes to being programmed because it's weaponized, you see, weaponized. All the programs you watch, and the dramas and movies all have their little little um, catches and little hooks in it that's going to stay in your subconscious so that you can be programmed so easily for things to come so that you'll accept them quite naturally as though they are natural. But it's a fantastic tool. Why do you think countries like China demanded that every person in China must have a television? India did the same thing. Long, long before that, Britain... Britain that was the first country that demanded must get television, so they, they made special laws to allow folk to pay them up on layaway plans, very, very cheap, used ones from the States, uh, and so that everyone could get a TV and get brainwashed. That was the reason. I mean, do you think they really care about your entertainment? Do you really think they care if you're happy or not? No, it's to do with programming you. Now, it's really amazing, too, I always noticed down through the years that uh, the guys that are, you understand, most big corporations are involved in military-industrial complex, pretty well all of them. 
even the ones that make your little uh, uh, the boom boxes you used to have to the present day stereos to to um, to all the rest of it that, that you you play with uh, gadgets and gizmos uh, they have a side to them which is commercial you see, but they also have a sight to them that always works with the military, and they're always on the cutting edge. And you ever wondered why, too, when they make a, a breakthrough, all the companies at the same time have the same breakthrough? It's because they're really all one at the top. They have pacts, you see. There's a pact at the top, and they must do that. That's why when even the VHS tape went out, for goodness sake, they all had, before you knew it, opening in the stores, your, your, your DVDs, just like that, boom, all of them. And even before that, you had that with the CD players and, and the, the old tape recorders. Anyway, it says, data that lives forever is possible, and it's from Japan's Hitachi. And it says, data is stored in binary form by creating dots inside the thin sheet of quartz glass. And it says, as Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, proved good music lasts a long time. Now, Japanese high-tech giant Hitachi says it can last even longer, a few hundred million years at best. At least, it says, a few hundred million years. Now, they've probably had this for a long time, but not for the public, you see. Because everything that's used is always used in the military-industrial complex and in NASA and the other companies across the world uh, long before we get them. M- many something, 20, 30 years, actually. It says, the company on Monday unveiled a method of storing digital information on slivers of quartz glass that can endure extreme temperatures and hostile conditions without degrading almost forever. And, uh, of course, they give you what you think about it, because you're supposed to think nice things. It says, and for anyone who updated their LP collections onto CD, onto find they needed to get it all on MP3, a technology that never needs to change might sound appealing. Of course, it's for governments, you see. It's for governments. And you'll find the big, big grants being put into this to, to research and find this particular technique to use for big governments and all the security agencies that will rule us and the future societies forever. I remember, too, watching a documentary you know, years ago where I think it was Sony was also uh, interfacing um, brain tissue and, and actual complete brains, in fact, with silicone chips and so on and putting currents through them. And that was 20-odd years ago. And they revived the same story again, only it's quite interesting. They always revive the same stories when they're short of news only about a month ago or so. But that's how it goes. They're always way, way, way ahead of anything they tell you. Tonight I'm also putting up uh, Ahmadinejad's address to the UN General Assembly, uh, the one that most of the folk walked out of. But um, he said a lot of pertinent things too. He says what is, you know, I mean, he's he's a part of a, he's living in a region where militaries have walked through them since about 1990 or 91, and just uh, taken them down one after another because they're all on the list made up by the neocons, the New American Century Boys, that created what they call revolutionary democracy, which means invading countries and forcing democracy upon them. For those who didn't know, look it up and you'll find out it's true. There's even YouTube's up there where guys were involved in it, in it at the top level for a government, and that was the idea. Invade first, destroy everything, and then bring in this thing called democracy, which someday, someday might get in the world. We've never had it here yet, but it's been a good con. And also, too, this is really strange because certain people, mind you, are elevated up to special positions. As I say before, uh, Ian Quigley talks about the, the selection of 
by the CFR, the higher levels of them, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, for presidents and prime ministers. They decide who's getting in, and as long as the top boy gets in, it doesn't matter about all the minor ones below them. He actually said that minor politicians, new politicians, are allowed certain competition to show their stuff, but the guy at the top, regardless of the party, always belongs to the same organization, because it's a world organization. You have to read all about it in the Anglo-American establishment to get the idea of how it works. And sometimes you see people snubbing the, the general populations and other people's too at the right time, and these are leaders, supposedly. But um, I know Prime Minister Stephen Harper has come out before, and, and he's, he says he, he will not stand anyone who criticizes Israel, for instance. But anyway, he didn't go to the UN General Assembly. He skipped it, where all the, they were all the religious were attending, and he went to get a, a Jewish award given to him instead. And you have to wonder why. What's he up to here? What is this? You know, is this a message to the world or something? If it's a message to the world, why, why not let us all in on the message? What is the message? But anyway, it says. Um, the Prime Minister Stephen Harper gave a speech after receiving an award from the Appeal of Conscience Foundation in New York City, September 27, 2012. And it says here, uh, Korean Prime Minister Stephen Harper has come under fire for skipping the 67th session of the UN General Assembly to attend a private ceremony where he received an award from a Jewish-sponsored organization. Passing up the opportunity to address the General Assembly, Harper chose to receive the New York-based Appeal of Conscience Foundation award from former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger on Thursday. The Canadian officials seized the opportunity to level criticism at the UN and accused its members of using the the world body as a forum to single out Israel for criticism. Can you believe this? This is a guy who's supposed to be impartial about everything. He's supposed to always think about all the voters and so on. And, and, and supposedly, we know that, but supposedly running a country. And he is lambasting the United Nations, which is set up by the boys who put him in, remember, the Council of Foreign Relations, Royal International Affairs. They set up the United Nations. He further added that the policies of Israel, the Israeli regime, are not to blame for the pathologies present in that part of the world, while reaffirming Canada's support for Tel Aviv. However, the Canadian Prime Minister's decision not to speak at the opening of the General Assembly drew harsh criticism in Canada from opposition leaders who called the move absolutely ridiculous. I think the message is that Canada, uh, that the Harper government doesn't care about the United Nations, said Bob Bray, the interim leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, actually, Bob Bray <laughs> was a communist. <laughs> and you have to get this whole story from the Toronto Sun when he left politics to find out all about him. They had a two-page spread. They revealed an awful lot. But anyway, it says this is the second consecutive year that Harper has shunned the UN events, preferring to send Foreign Minister of Affairs Minister John Beard in his place. Many in Canada are concerned about Harper's conservative policies, as he's also accused of locking his government behind a wall of secrecy, uh, defunding democratic institutions, and giving away Canada's sovereignty to the UK and the Israeli regime. Well, he seems to be living up to it, doesn't he? And it's true enough, I've got articles here about that, because um, Canada and Britain are now going to share embassies abroad, which means must be on board with all foreign policies, by the way. See, we've never been free in Canada. Neither is Australia, uh, the, the so-called British Commonwealth. Uh, and they still all pledge, pledge allegiance to the Queen, not to the people of the country or the country itself. 
And this, uh, this is, uh, I'll put the site too. The Appeal of Conscience Foundation presents its 2012 annual awards. Uh, I'll put that one up too, uh, for those who don't know too much about it. But this is an interfaith organization and its president and founder, Rabbi Arthur Schneier, uh, honored Ukrainian Prime Minister Stephen Harper with the World Statesman Award. So he's now a world statesman. As a leader who has helped advance freedom, freedom, democracy, human rights, and peace globally. You know, all, all these wards, like this, the same in the United Nations, they're all, they're all such a joke, aren't they? We've seen top guys before give, given them. And um, even people who've been bombing countries for years get, get these peace prizes and things. It's all such a joke. It also means something, but not to us. It's something higher amongst a society high above us, obviously. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article about the Prime Minister of Canada who didn't go to the UN meeting where all the leaders met. He went and instead got an award, uh, the Appeal of Conscience Foundation. And it says here that um, the foundation is uh, it's built upon the foundation of freedom and human dignity. So it's uh, the foundation of freedom and human dignity that Canada seeks in an uncertain world, to articulate a foreign policy built on certain principles. Why doesn't he explain what this foreign policy is and what these certain principles happen to be? It says, with this in mind, I humbly accept on behalf of my country this honour is bestowed by Rabbi Schneer and the Appeal of Conscience Foundation and salute the important work of this venerable organisation. And it says... uh, Louis R. Schenevert, Chairman and CEO of United Technologies Corps, uh, served as the awards dinner chairman. The honorary chairman of the dinner was former United States President Bill Clinton, former Presidents George W. Bush and Jimmy Carter, former Secretaries of State Dr. Henry Kissinger, uh, George P. Schultz, James A. Baker III, Dr. Madeleine Albright. And this was a peaceful organization. Albright now is in the head, on the board of NATO bombing countries and pushing for it. Powell and Dr. Condoleezza Rice were the honorary co-chairs. Other honorary co-chairs included U.S. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Senator Charles E. Schumer, and Representatives Howard Berman, Peter King, Charles Rangel, and Steny Hoyer. This is with a sense of global responsibility, Prime Minister Stephen Harper has assumed a significant role on the international scene to advance democracy. This is this, this is this revolutionary democracy I mentioned earlier, where you got to invade countries under any pretext, including getting them to fire first, and and because uh, it must always appear to be a just war, and using lots of propaganda, and then you force after you've destroyed all their infrastructure, uh, then and brought them back to the Stone Age. And then you force something called democracy on them. And you already have, uh, the, the other class has already run out of those countries years ago, uh, trains in your countries to go back and, and form their first governments, their proper governments, in other words. So it's freedom and human rights through peacekeeping. Now, there's no such thing as peacekeeping, doublespeak, Orwellian. Soldiers are soldiers, folks. When armed with rifles and grenades and all the rest have been taught to kill, that's what they do. They're not peacekeepers. That's a, a con uh, against psycholinguistics. And neurolinguistics. Humanitarian missions confronting international terrorism, which is everywhere, of course. 
His leadership reflects Canada's religious and ethnic diversity based on democratic values. Now, Harper did get in trouble before in the major mainstream media not so long ago when he actually said that the war was on Islam, not on radicals or, or renegades and so on. And I don't, th- I don't know if he repented it or retracted it or whatever. So it's rather odd, this, this, whole, this whole thing with him. I'm sure he's got everybody puzzled what he's up to. He says, with clarity and vision, he's responded to the economic, political, and social challenges facing humanity, said Rabbi Arthur Schneer, president of the Peel of Conscience Foundation. Schneer also stated that uh, Vikram Pandit uh, has led cities' uh, commitments, CITI's commitments to communities and building bridges between countries. IB, now, IBM, the guys that are bringing you the smart cities that none of us asked for, it's getting so way above us because we're under global management now. It says, under the leadership of Ginny Romati, has dedicated itself to the promise of making the world work better. Now, I'll tell you before, they mean more efficiently the way it should be run rather than the way we, it's run right now, where you and I have, have limited decisions that we can make, but at least have some decisions we can make in a small sphere. And they wanted to deal with those decision-making things and have school to work and, and clone-type people that will work in the future. It has made a difference for the benefit of humanity by demonstrating the responsibility to society and contributing to the improvement of quality of life through education, global development, peace tolerance, and cross-cultural understanding. Now, every country has its massive public relations departments, and they go out with these troops. There are soldiers, which they now call peacekeepers, and they get them smelling with children, and they give them candy bars, and they'll say, oh, Canada or the States or whoever is over drilling a well in Bangladesh or something like that. Well, this came out in the papers here in Canada that a school, an Indian school, Native, Native American Indian school in the Northwest Territories just got its first flush toilet. So that's how much they care about the folk at home. Everything is public relations propaganda, you understand. It says, it's a great honor to receive the Appeal of Conscience Award on behalf of my colleagues at City, said City CEO Vikram Pandit. A city marks 200 years of supporting progress. Now, who defines progress? You see, you understand this? These are all covert phrases. It is particularly meaningful to be recognized for our shared commitment to communities. The Appeal of Conscience Foundation works tirelessly to foster peace, understanding, and tolerance. Tolerance. We are proud to do our part of, to fuel growth and expand access to financial services so communities can flourish. Well, we were all communities, now we're all rising debt under this democracy as the banks plunder us. This is, uh, through year after year for more than a century, IBMers have asked, how can the world work better? said IBM President and CEO Ginny Rometty. This is how we came to understand global integration, not only as an, evident, as an event in the history of economic competition, but also as an inflection point in technological and societal progress. I've said before, you're living under a long-term business plan, and you have been for well over 100 years, and these guys know where they're taking you all, whether you like it or not. doesn't matter. And it says, I'm honored to serve as chairman for the 2012 Awards Dinner and congratulate this year's honorees, their leadership in promoting freedom, human rights, and economic prosperity. For whom? For the corporations? Has really made a difference in improving communities around the world, etc., etc. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back. We're cutting through the meetings, talking about an event that uh, Prime Minister Harper from Canada attended rather than attend the United Nations meeting. It's very much like the World Citizenship Awards that Rockefeller gives out too, because they're all connected, all these people, and Rockefellers too fund a lot of these other groups as well uh, through, with massive funding. But anyway, it says here that um, co-chairs are Peter G. Peterson, Stephen A. Schwartzman, Senator Pamela D. Wallen, QC, uh, or OC, it says Len uh, Blavatnik, uh, John A. Klantstimatitis, John Jai Freeberg, Ralph Lauren, Howard J. Rubinstein, Daniel L. Vasella, and Mortimer B. Zuckerman. The invocation, they always have invocations. This is for, for, where they go for their goal. You know, they always have the great invocation, and uh, generally they don't publish it. The invocation was delivered by Bishop Nicholas Anthony DiMarzio, Bishop of Brooklyn, and the benediction was offered by Reverend Dr. Fred R. Anderson, pastor of the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Both are members of the Peel of Conscience Foundation Board of Trustees and Advisory Council. Past recipients of the World Statesman Award include South Korean President Lee Myung-bak, Prime Minister of the Republic of India, Dr. Mohammed, uh, Mohammed Singh, Prime Minister uh, Gordon Brown. Interesting, Gordon Brown there, he attended a press conference in New York there, because he's now headed the IMF for the New York, for, for the, sorry, for, for the US. And uh, only one reporter turned up, so Brown walked away. Then it says that French President Nicolas Sarkozy, I mean, these are really religious folk, eh? French President Nicolas Sarkozy, you know, Chancellor Angela Merkel, and President Louis Inacio Lalula da Silva. Other recipients include former Prime Ministers Margaret Thatcher, Romano Prodi, John Howard and King Juan Carlos I, President Michael Gorbachev, who's an atheist, and President Vaclav Havel. About the Peel of Conscience Foundation, founded in 1965, it's worked on behalf of religious, religious freedom, human rights and tolerance throughout the world. What do we see today across the world? The Interfaith Coalition of Business and Religious Leaders promotes mutual understanding, peace and interfaith dialogue. The foundation believes that freedom, democracy and human rights are the fundamental values that give nations of the world their best hope for peace, security and shared prosperity, it says. And so there's quite, there's quite some good stuff following on from it too. I'll put it up and, and those who want to go through it can go through it. But you understand we're, we're controlled by foundations and all the front organizations that they have. And there's lots and lots of them. Like we have democracy, right? We have democracy. Even the, say the guy, the, the guy, the professor, Carl Quigley, who was the, the historian, official recorder and historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, said that that Canada, this is the States and Britain and so on, they haven't had uh, a member as a prime minister or a president for the, the late 1800s that wasn't a member of this organization. And here they are prattling about democracy and so on. Now, the big boys are going really ahead for progress, of course, like the last article said, there's progress, you see. And it says... Um, Controlling brains with a flick of a light switch, it says. Using the new science of optogenetics, scientists can activate or shut down neural pathways, altering behavior and heralding a true cure for psychiatric disease. as always to help the poor, infirm, and the weak, and the sick. 
isn't it? DARPA was doing all that too by putting brain chips in quadriplegics because DARPA, you know, the guys who were into all the different ways to kill millions of people across the world, really, really care. And they had this sideline where occasionally they'll help a paraplegic. You know, of course it's a sort of, always the same excuse, isn't it? It works, it works, so it works for the people. You know. So they want to shut off your, your brain, basically. And says, stopped at a red light on his home from work. He says, Carl Disroth uh, contemplates one of his patients, a woman with depression so entrenched that she had been unresponsive to drugs and electroshock therapy for years. The red turns to green and Disroth accelerates, navigating roads and intersections with one part of his mind, while another part considers a very different set of pathways that can also be regulated by a system of lights. In his lab at Stanford University's Clark Center, Disroth is developing a remarkable way to switch brain cells off and on by exposing them to targeted green, yellow, or blue flashes. With that ability, he's learning how to regulate the flow of information in the brain. Disroth's technique, known broadly as optogenetics, could bring new hope to, to his most desperate patients. You understand, advanced science is always spearheaded for military purposes. Always. We get the leftovers, if there's any good leftovers at all, that are helpful. In a series of provocative experiments, it's already cured the symptoms of psychiatric disease in mice. You've seen mice, you know, come into your house here, banging their heads against the wall and stuff instead of going for, 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 for your food and that. You've seen, oh, you've all seen that, right? Optogenetics also shows a promise for defeating drug addiction. <laughs> so they'll be the first ones to try it on. And it was instantly blocked. Almost miraculously, they were immune to the cocaine high. The mice left a drug den as uninterested as if they had never been exposed. And it says, for all its complexity, the brain in some ways is a surprisingly simple device. Neurons switch off and on, causing signals to stop or go. Using optogenetics, uh, Dieselroth can do that switching himself. He inserts light-sensitive proteins into brain cells. The proteins let him turn a set of cells on or off just by shining the right kind of laser beam at the cells. That in turn makes it possible to highlight the exact neural pathways involved in the various forms of psychiatric disease. A disruption of one particular pathway, for instance, might cause anxiety. To test a possibility, Dieselroth engineers an animal with light-sensitive proteins in the brain cells lying along the suspected pathway. Then he illuminates the cells with a laser. If the animal begins cowering in a corner, he knows he's in the right place. I guess we'll all be cowering eventually when they put the nano stuff in all of us, if it's not there already. And as Dieselroth and his colleagues illuminate more neural pathways, other researchers will be able to design increasingly targeted drugs and minimally invasive brain implants to treat psychiatric disease. Remember what the Soviets said, folks. Anyone who didn't take this, accept the Soviet system that was designed and funded from the West those who already rule all over us, you see. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. They said that everyone out there is mentally ill. Look into the records of the American Psychiatric Association and the Psychological Association, the top psychologists and psychiatrists who said that people who believe in the family unit and passing their own outdated, inadequate morals onto their children were mentally ill. Remember that. Never forget that when you read these articles. Because you have to find where the money is coming to do all this research and why. Why, folks? Anyway, it says, um, it says, optogenetics originally emerged from BioX, a multidisciplinary project spearheaded in part by Stephen Chu, then a Stanford physicist and now the U.S. Secretary of Energy. 
BioX takes some of Stanford's best engineers, computer scientists, physicists, chemists, and clinicians and throws them together in the Clark Center, where an open glass clad structure makes communication unavoidable. Understand that they can actually do that with nanotechnology too, and things was happening. It makes sense when the, when the Pentagon uh, published, and I read it on the air, the fact that they can create strokes in people who are watching the net by entering, uh, altering the pixel rates and flashing on their screen on the computer. They can literally tell your brain is shut down or your heart. But wouldn't this be much easier when they can also put stuff into you uh, and, and little colors will start flashing when you're getting targeted and that's you, kaput. So I'll put this up too and those uh, that are interested can have a, a little gander at it. Adobe, remember, is, is revoking code signing certificates because it's compromised and... Um, Apparently, the signing certificate for Windows, it says they plan to revoke the impacted uh, certificate October 4th for all software code signed after July 10th, 2012. Customers should not notice anything at the ordinary during the certificate revocation process. Well, some, some apparently people could hack into it, into the actual licensing itself and attach something to your computer or put a link up to. Now, everyone's read Orwell, George Orwell, I hope. Not just watched the, the, the movies about 1984, but I hope they've actually watched and read the books. And he, he talks about, it's in, the, it's in the movies too, mind you, but there's a step in it where the, the Department of Statistics, because they run up all the countries by statistics now, you hear them. Even the BBC does it, the CBC does it in Canada, and the, 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 it's generally a woman's voice, just like the movie in 1984. And it's got to be true, because you see, there's damn lies. There's lies, dime lies, and then there's statistics. In other words, if you pretend it's science, it must be true. So anyway, this is like choco rations are up. When actually we're taking them down the size, they publish and tell the people that, uh, that choco rations are actually up during this 1984 Orwellian phase. Australian statistician found countries actually $330 billion wealthier than it thought. Here they're in the middle of a depression. But don't worry, a statistic, you know, a guy with statistics found that you're actually $338 billion wealthier, right? Listen to this rubbish. It says, Australians are suddenly a whole lot better off after the government statistician found $325 billion, which is $338 billion US, I guess, in share assets previously unrecognized. The Australian Bureau of Statistics on Thursday released its latest report on household assets, which included massive upward revision to estimates for equity holdings. Total financial assets were now put at $3.1 trillion at the end of March, compared to the original report of $2.77 trillion. The revision is worth roughly uh, $14,380 for every one of the country's 22.6 million people. Isn't that fantastic, folks? I guess they'll be delivering it, into, you know, this cash in your account tomorrow, eh? <laughs> what a joke. This is mainstream, folks. You see, they know darn well that they've got most of the people completely bamboozled on every possible level of understanding today. It says, this issue uh, incorporates new estimates for households, holding of unlisted shares and other equity and other private non-financial corporations, the statistician dryly noted. So there you are, choco rations is a erupt, folks, because a statistician said so. Wow. Now, <laughs> Canada again, eh? 
I want you to understand, you've got to understand there's a war, a total war on the public. The, the war's always been the same war. It doesn't matter what party you vote for. It's all from the same group. Royal Institute of International Affairs, for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. It doesn't matter if they're left wing, far left, middle or right. It doesn't matter. That's what Big Quigley said. And part of it was to totally destroy not just the family units, but to completely radically alter all the culture. Remember, all these NGOs that get funding via your tax money, by your governments, and lobby your governments. Uh, are doing what they're told to do. The government wants me to lobby them and change the system and uh, gives them the excuse to change it. And you, when you meet them to qualify for these NGO statuses, you must swear that your group is for radical change. Radical change. That's what you, that you tell them. That's what's on the paperwork. Radical change. And you can list what radical change you mean. And it falls into under the Communist Manifesto, you're, you've got your cash. Quite simple. And the takedown was to go on and on and on into the bizarro world. Remember, I talked before about um, Theo Adorno, for instance, and how he said in himself, and he was given permission with his gang that came over from Germany to radically alter the culture in the West, especially the United States. And he worked with Bernays too, the Macy Club too, with Lord Bertrand Russell and other people. They were given White House permission to change the culture and destroy all. And he says, we won't be happy to have brought the whole culture down into necrophilia. And we're watching it all happen, folks. And you see, you're all contaminated now. You've seen so much of this stuff, it doesn't even shock you. That's what uh, um, even that KGB guy mentioned as well. Uh, but with contamination. Here's an article. Video evidence is not required after a Vancouver animal hospital worker, working with, with animals, right? Uh, flags guilty plea and Rottweiler sex case. Would you ever believe you'd see this stuff coming out? Remember I always said the perps go for their target. If it's children or after, you go with Boy Scout leader, or you go into children's aid, where you get access to children, or you go into schools, and, and that kind of stuff. Well, it's the same with all the perps. They, they find their target, you see. And it says a Vancouver man accused of having sex with one of his dogs is expected to enter a guilty plea, a judge told Monday. Brian Anthony Cooteridge, 37, will plead guilty to one charge of bestiality on October the 2nd, be sentenced on that day. And what, what they'll do is fight this, you see, and, and then make that legal. Because he's actually demanding his rights, the same as homosexuals got rights. And that's also what uh, Theodore Adorno says. We'll same, use the same techniques for first freeing women to get women's rights and then into homosexual rights, and then we'll take it from there using the same techniques, you see. And then you, you, you can't say, oh, you can't have it. Well, they got theirs. That's their preference. This guy's preference is, is uh, you know, having things, strange things with dogs. Anyway, it says, he'd be sentenced and, and so-and-so. It says, uh, you're not going to ask me to see any videos, said the judge. He's not going to see the, the, no, no reply to Simkin. The case against Critteridge was largely based on videos seized of him uh, having sexual relations with a Rottweiler he owned. Though the maximum penalty for bestiality is 10 years prison, Cooteridge, a former animal hospital worker, is likely to face a lengthy period of probation. See, it's already demeaned now. It's just a, that's a minor thing. It says, this was a difficult case. Bestiality is illegal in Canada. Brian Cooteridge is often vocal in his belief that his acts should not be illegal. See, this is the point in the story. Another folk will say, well, why not? You know, if that's what turns them on, you know. Cooteridge was not in court for the brief appearance, but we're appearing... Turning his guilty plea October the 2nd. 
and the sentence and hearing is expected to take an hour. Now, I mentioned before last year, I think it was, that in some countries, like Norway was one of them, uh, they, they allow, they actually have animals for in special places uh, for, for, for people from the West to come over and have sex with the animals. And some of our countries do the same, because this is to be the way across the whole world. Ever since the days of Kinsey, who was a homosexual himself, and went through all of his staff, and told of his staff to have sex with each other too, by the way. And he even fudged all his statistics because he did it during World War II. All the guys were away, and he used prostitutes at home, male and female, to, to do their studies on. They never told you that in the movie, of course. And uh, he was a real pair of himself who played people to do these things. This guy was doing a dog with babies. He paid them to do it with babies, folks, and was never locked up for it. And that was a way to bring us all down. And his book is still used by judges today on human sexuality. And it's all fake. There's an agenda on the go, and I hope you realize it. And I read this article too, uh, a while back. I'll put it back up again. Vladimir Bukovsky, he was a 63-year-old former Soviet dissident, uh, fears the European Union is on its way to becoming another Soviet Union. Exactly, of course it is. And this speech was done in 2006. I read it in the air at the time, but I'll do it again. He delivered in Brussels last week. Mr. Bukowski called the EU a monster that must be destroyed. The sooner the better, before it develops into a full-fledged totalitarian state. Well, we've watched that happening. He paid a visit to the European Parliament Thursday at the invitation of Fides, it says the Hungarian Civic Forum, uh, Fides, a member of the European Christian Democrat group, had invited this former Soviet dissident over from England, where he lives on the occasion of this year's 50th anniversary of the 1956 Hungarian uprising. So I'll, I'll give you this whole thing up that he said, as he calls it what it is. It's a totalitarian, non-democratic system. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about this this um, speech that Mr. Bukowski gave. Uh, he actually talked about the EU as a new Soviet Union, basically. He it says in his speech, Mr. Bukowski referred to confidential documents from secret Soviet files, which he was allowed to read in 1992. Documents confirmed the existence of a conspiracy to turn the European Union into a socialist organization. Says, I attended the meeting and taped the speech. A transcript as well as the audio fragments of approximately 50 minutes can be found below. I'll put this up tonight to cuttingthreemates.com. I also had a brief interview with Mr. Bukowski, uh, for a, a transcript and audio fragment which can also be found below. And it says here, um, it says, he was one of the heroes of the 20th century. As a young man, he exposed the use of psychiatric imprisonment against political prisoners in the former USSR. And it says, uh, and spent a total of 12 years from 64 to 1976 from his 22nd to 34th year in Soviet jails, labor camps, and psychiatric institutions. You understand, if you spoke out against the system, you were classified as mentally ill. You had to be mentally ill because it's a great system, right? We're seeing the same thing develop here, folks. You speak out against all these wars going on. In 1976, the Soviets expelled him to the West. In 1992, he was invited by the Russian government to serve as an expert, testifying at the trial conducted to determine whether the Soviet Communist Party had been a criminal institution. 
to prepare for his testimony. Mr. Bukowski was granted access to a large number of documents from Soviet secret archives. He's one of the few people ever to have seen the documents because they're still classified. He used a small handheld scanner and a laptop computer and managed to copy many of the documents with high security clearance, including KGB reports to the Soviet government. And he talks about, in its entirety, the whole system was to uh, basically create a Sovietized whole of Europe. Well, we've got that. Now, who set up the Soviet system? The bankers from the West set up the Soviet system. Who set up and, and still run the Royal Institute for International Affairs? The bankers, the ones that are international moneylenders, who funded the Soviet Union. You see, one way or another, they get what they want. You can't get what you want without conflict. You've got to create wars and so on to get it started. Otherwise, things stay the same. Folks say, what's the point of change? We're quite happy. Get conflict going, and then you've got to have the resolution afterwards, which is, oh, we've got to amalgamate to stop this happening again. It's very, very simple tricks don't use down through history. According to the communist doctrine, as well as to many forms of socialist thinking, the state, the national state, is supposed to wither away. Actually, in the Rees Commission, uh, sponsored by the U.S. Uh, Congress, when they investigated the, the tax-free foundations, Rockefeller, Carnegie, uh, all the rest of them, that funded all these hundreds of armies of NGOs, they said that their job was to blend the Soviet system into the West, without the people even noticing. And it's happened, folks. This is in Russia, however, the opposite happened. Instead of withering away, the Soviet state became a very powerful state, but the nationalities were obliterated. And when the time of the Soviet collapse came, these suppressed feelings of national identity came bouncing back and nearly destroyed the country. It was so frightening. And he said, do you think the same thing can happen when the European Union collapses? Absolutely, you can press a string only that much, and the human psyche is very resilient. He says, you can press it, you can press it, but don't forget it's still accumulating a power to rebound. It's like a spring, and it always goes to overshoot. And he goes through a lot of what's happened in the Union and what's likely to happen again. But he says, it is a new Soviet Union, exactly what the bankers wanted, because they're in charge of it. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>